We are in John chapter 11, reading from verse 21. John chapter 11, verse 21, continuing on the chronological life of Jesus. The Gospel according to Luke is the only one that claims chronology. The other three Gospels are thematic, but we look at them to complement the portions that, that, that Luke <clears throat> enlightens us upon, and then we look at the other three Gospels to complement on that. So we're in John's Gospel, chapter uh, 11, verse 21. <clears throat> Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the, third, uh, on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she said she, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and Jesus and the Jews who came with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man, who opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man also from dying? Jesus, So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb, Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Okay, so let me just again give you the context here. Jesus has performed... uh, uh, Jesus has performed healings before. People have died before and Jesus has prayed over them and they have been healed. After the unpardonable sin, every time he performed the the miracle of giving new life to a person who had died, this was done in a very closed setting. He would send the people away. There would just say the mother and father of the little girl or there were just a few people present because he was no longer doing this for the masses. But this, on the other hand, was part of his testimony that he said, you will see only the sign of resurrection. So the only thing that the masses were to see was the sign of resurrection. Three of those signs were going to take place. This was the first of the three. So you see, this was no small gathering. It says that many of the Jews came from 
from Jerusalem to Bethany, where Martha and Mary lived, and to console them, because it was about a two-mile walk, and they came and they, they were consoling them. So there were a lot of Jews, many of them also from Jerusalem, it says. So Martha said to him, <clears throat> verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have di- would not have died. And last time I said, you know, it's almost as if she's blaming him. But this could be looked at very differently. It could have been just out of utter desperation. Oh, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died because she well knew that he had the power to heal. She knew that he had the power to heal had he had been sick. And Jesus there, he had the power to heal. But we also know that Jesus had the power to heal from a distance. So if he had been... If he had been ill, when these men came to first meet him, wherever he was, he could have said, go your way, Lazarus is healed. Just as he had done with, with a man's daughter who had already died, he proclaimed that, that, that she, she would live, and she did live again. So he could perform gifts of resurrection from a distance. We already know that. Then she says to him, <clears throat> "Then let, let's skip on down. In, in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? <clears throat> so Jesus looks at her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I mean, think of this is a very strange thing. For a man to say, I am the resurrection. This is, <clears throat> this is seven times Jesus uses the words, I am, in the Gospel according to John. <clears throat> so he, this, is, this, is, uh, uh, this, this, this fifth I am in the Gospel of John, this I am harkens us back to the time when God said to, to Moses, I am who I am. I am. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Embodied in me is the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Think about that. If we believe in Jesus, we live even if we die. Then he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looks right at Martha and he says, Do you believe this? Jesus says, Do you believe this? This is his word to us as well. Do we believe him? I've told my kids, I said, You know, one day you may be there and they're laying me in the grave, but just remember, I'm not there. That's just my body. I'll be very much alive. That's the testimony of Jesus. This is the most comforting word that you can give to a believer when one of their loved ones has passed away. This is the most comforting word that you can give them. I use this all the time when I meet people when I talk to people and they're believers and they've experienced the death, say, of a spouse, of a loved one, I read them this verse or I email them this verse and, and I say, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. 
And he who lives, everyone who lives and believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? Close quote. And right after it I say, I believe. And usually their response is, I believe too. And so did he. And referring to the person who has passed away. This is the most encouraging verse. Even to people who I'm practically strangers with, I share this verse with them. It is the verse that you can hold on to in your life, the verse of encouragement. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus said this. If it were not so, He never would have said this. Jesus very much believes that if we believe in Him, when our physical body dies, we live on in the glory of the Father. We live on in the glory of the Father. Remember, Lazarus was now in the bosom of Abraham. Jesus was going to cause, call him back from, from there. In Sheol, or in Hades, depending on what language you're speaking, but in the bosom of Abraham. After the death of Jesus, he went, he took captivity captive, and now they're in the presence of the Father. And that's where you and I will be when our physical bodies run out. It is a blessed hope. Jesus really believed this. Guess what? If Jesus really said that this is the way it happened, and we don't believe that that's really the way it happens, who do you think is right? In the mind of Jesus, this is so true. There is no argument about it. And Jesus said it because He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the one who gave the life in the first place. Everything holds together by the power of His hand. I am the resurrection and the life. The Spirit immediately goes into the presence of God upon the passing of the believer. And one day, He will raise up that body too. And you say, well, what if the body was... You know, died at, they died at sea and they were thrown in the ocean and it was eaten up by a bunch of shrimp. That's a fair question. Or what about cremated bodies? You know, it all goes to uh, CO2 and water. That's what it turns into. What happens? Well, you know, Jesus made it before and He can make it again. The beautiful thing is that there's conservation of mass and energy. <laughs> and all of the atoms remain. Yeah, they're, they're, they take a different form, but all the atoms remain. They're all still there. He made it before. He can call them back together again. He knows how to do this type of thing, you know. He said there will be a resurrection. There will be a resurrection. Jesus really believed this. Remember these words. I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives and he who lives, I am, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Never die. Parents. How many here are parents? Okay. For those of you who are parents, can you agree with me that one of the biggest concerns that you have in your life is for the welfare of your child? You're always thinking about your child. Now, 
your child is two years old and you think, well, I'm always thinking about him because he's two. It just never stops. You're always thinking about the welfare of your children. And then you start thinking about the welfare of your grandchildren. I mean, it just, just, there's all these people you're thinking about. Let this comfort be there. That if they be in Christ, they will live even if they die. And learn to release them into what God would have for them. One of the biggest obstacles to Christian missions is Christian parents. It's not Satan. Satan's defeated. It's Christian parents. They don't want their children to go into situations that they might deem dangerous. The best thing you can do is to allow your kids to go into Christian missions, to go to places and serve the Lord. That is the safest place for them. And if they go, they go. They're in the Lord. They live forever in the Lord. It is a beautiful thing and it is a releasing thing to a parent. It really is a releasing thing when you can begin to just release this and say, I pray for your good. But if something should happen to you and your life should go, that's not the end. You will be in the presence of Jesus and the Father immediately. And one day I'll meet you there. That's the beautiful hope we have. That is the hope that we have in Christ. Then he said to her, do you believe this? In verse 27, she, says, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So she's saying, yeah, I believe you're the Messiah. That wasn't the question. You know how you can answer affirmatively, but another question? The answer would have been yes or no. Do you believe this? Is it yes or no? Verse 28, when she had said this, she went away and called her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So there were other words that went on between Jesus and Martha that aren't recorded here. Because we don't see the record of him saying that to her. But she says to her sister, he's calling for you. Because remember, Mary didn't come out to him. He's out somewhere. He hadn't yet gotten to the home when Martha heard and ran out. Mary stayed there. She's just overwhelmed at the death of her brother, which is understandable. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Look at that. Martha comes to Jesus. Mary doesn't. For whatever reason. Maybe she's overwhelmed. Maybe she's saddened that Jesus didn't heal her brother from a distance. Maybe she's saddened that it took Jesus so long to get there. We don't know exactly why. But Jesus said, call Mary. You know, we may be upset with God for some reason. We don't particularly want to talk to Him. But He reaches out. This is what a parent does. We're supposed to do. Supposed to reach out. You know, sometimes when the kids were growing up, I'd get upset with them, and Shireen would always remind me, she said, remember, that is your child. You initiate the reaching out. And that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to sit there and say, well, you know, let them come and apologize to me. No, it's my job as a parent to reach out to them. They're my child. This is what Jesus does. He reaches out to Mary. He says, call Mary. I want to see Mary. So she gets up quickly and she starts running to him. 
Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, verse 30, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So, Jesus is about to do a miracle, and this is not going to be just with family anymore. This is not going to be just with a small group. Remember, after the unpardonable sin, if he was going to do a healing, he would take them away from the crowd. No, the crowd is now coming. This is all a setup to do this in front of the masses now. Mary comes out to him in verse 32. Therefore, when Mary came to Jesus, where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, this woman is just overwhelmed. All we ever hear about is Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. We don't hear about them having parents. Their parents were probably gone from the scene now. Probably gone. We don't hear anything about them. So you have two sisters and a brother. The brother dies. The two sisters are very much on their own in that culture. It's not like there's not all these safety nets around. This is going to be a hard life for these women. We don't see them ever having husbands at this point. It's going to be a hard life for them. She is overwhelmed. All she can do is fall at his feet and say, said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She certainly had faith, knowing that he could have healed him had he been there. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So this word weeping, when it says that, that he saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, this is a wailing sort of weeping. This is, you know, you know wiping the eyes with a tissue. This is wailing. And they had professional wailers. People who would lead in the wailing. And they have this in, 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 uh, in Asia today. They have this, in, in, for example, in India and Pakistan today. Professional weepers. You pay them, and they come and they lead the weeping. You say, this is such an odd habit. We have odd habits in our culture, too. The first church that I became a part of after I was a believer was a church where, where it was, uh, the pastor was an Indian and a lot of the people there were Asian Indians. Our worship service is we would get on our knees and people would individually, as the Spirit led, would verbally praise God. Some would lead out in a song and then others would join in in the song or someone would read a hymn. Someone would read a, psalm, read a psalm, and that's exactly what it says in the Scriptures. When you come together, one has, a, one has a psalm, one has a hymn, do all in order. That's where the pattern comes from. Never in my, in my, in my wildest imagination did I think that we need a worship leader. We need someone to lead us in worship. The Holy Spirit is our worship leader. We just go and we start worshiping. We fall down on our knees and each one... So then I came into non-Asian Indian churches, and you've got a worship leader. And you follow what they do. They worship and you worship. They say something, you say it. Isn't that an odd practice? You see, so, so they had professional wailers. So people just, you know, because wailing is contagious. You see somebody weeping, you want to weep. You see somebody laughing, you want to laugh. It's contagious. So they had professional weepers, and they're weeping, wailing. And he was deeply troubled in spirit. So why would he be troubled in spirit? Probably because of what sin has wrought in mankind, what death has 
the death that's come in, and he sees the pain in this, these two women that he really loves. He's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he says, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Don't you think he knows? I mean, Jesus knows everything. You think he doesn't know? But he allows us to participate with him. He could do lots of things without us. Right? He could send an angel. He could send a donkey. He could send all sorts of things to speak. But he uses us. He allows us to participate with him. This is a good thing. And they say, come and see. And Jesus, this word wept is different than the wailing. It's a different Greek word. And this is, he shed tears. So Jesus was human because he saw people in pain. Isn't that nice to know? That when we're in pain, Jesus feels our pain. Isn't it nice to know? Think of this model, of this character. This is not someone afar off that says, oh, how could you be weeping? If you had faith, you wouldn't weep. No. He weeps with them. This is the Lord that we have. Do you see how personal He is? And the Jews were saying, see how He loved them. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Which blind man? The blind man who had been blind from birth. The blind man who had been blind from birth, that only a messianic miracle could have been done. Jesus healed him. And that's what brought about the unpardonable sin. He performed a messianic miracle. Couldn't he perform... Couldn't he have performed just a healing that is not a messianic miracle? Lots of healings took place in the Bible by the prophets. Why couldn't Jesus have done this? If he could have healed a man who was born blind, that was a messianic miracle. That's why there's that comparison there. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha's Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Did I not say to you that if you believe, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Again, he had a conversation with Martha previously that we don't have all documented. Because, remember, Martha's the one who wants details kept in order. You know, she's the serving one. She's like, you know, he's going to stink if you roll away that stone. And uh, he said, did I not say to you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? I focused upon that. I thought, Lord, how much have I missed out on in my life? for not believing you. Where I've gone ahead in timidity, not believing you, not believing that you would do something. How much do we leave on the table? How much do we not see manifest in our lives because we do not believe? Jesus said to her, did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. 
So they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what had been done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. So Jesus, they roll away the stone, and Jesus says, I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. So he, speaking... Because he wants, he, he didn't even have to shout. He didn't even have to say a word. He could have just thought in his mind. Come on out now, Lazarus. But he says this for the people around him. So that they know that he's been sent by God. For their sake, he does it. So that they may know, in verse 42, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Every time there's a voice crying out of resurrection, it is the voice of the Son of God. And he will proclaim with a loud trumpet, they will, he will call forth in the last day a resurrection, and it will happen. The man who made us the first time will reconstitute the body, and they will rise up. It says, the man who had died came forth. So just in case... You thought this was another Lazarus who came forth? No, it says the man who died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings. So, remember, they would wrap them hand and foot all the way about from head to toe. I mean, how do you get up from this? I mean, angels probably helped him to lift up. And then he's got to come. And he's, he's wrapped around. He can't see. And if you go to the garden tomb in Israel, that was a typical sort of tomb. It's not all level and pit. You know, you go inside this cave and it's up and down and even to this day, in those cases, they're, they're not all smooth. And so how do, you, how do you, you know, get up, your feet are all tied up. But anyway, he came out. And he had wrappings all around him and it wasn't until he came out that Jesus said, okay, now unbind him. It wasn't you know, all of a sudden he gets unbound and comes walking out. And No, no, you're not the same guy. The guy we put in there was all bound. He wanted them to know for sure this was the guy who was laying in there dead. He came out all bound for everybody to see. Lest they think that, oh, some people went in there and, you know, they switched, they switched places. You know what I mean? Just, just some magic trick done here. No, nobody had gone in the tomb. The stone rolled away and out came this man all wrapped up. It says, Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what, had, saw what he had done believed in him. Remember, there were many Jews, it says in the beginning of this chapter, that had come to console Mary and Martha. They were from Jerusalem. Many of the Jews, they believed in him because of this. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus had done. Again, this authority complex that we've we got to tell the Pharisees and only believe what the Pharisees are going to believe. 
And we'll look at that next time. But what I want to focus in on is this power in the resurrection. Look in Romans, in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. This is where he calls it home to us. Romans chapter 3, we're going to start reading from verse 21. Romans 3, 21. Romans 3.21 But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For everyone who believes, there is righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction. Not Jew, not Greek, not American, not Chinese. There's no difference. God reaches out to everyone. He says, the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. Everyone is a sinner. The Bible goes so far as to say that if you say that I am not a sinner, you sin because now you're a liar. That's what it says. It says you make yourself out to be a liar. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says, verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one who redeems us. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Jesus is the one who redeems you. Don't let this day go by if you've not asked Jesus into your life. Don't let it go by. Jesus is the one who redeemed you. Whom God displayed, verse 25, publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. God forgives our sins. There is forgiveness in Him. Jesus forgives us. Verse 26, For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. If you come to Jesus, you believe in Him, He will make a way. He will make a way for you to have a relationship with Him. Don't let this day go by. Don't go back to China without receiving Him. Receive Him. Receive Him. He has risen from the dead. He has demonstrated resurrection. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. How can any thinking man or woman believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because God has placed that truth within all people. And what does He do for the believer? Look in, in uh, 2 Peter. In 2 Peter, this is uh, right near, just, just if you can go to the last book, that's Revelation, and turn back a few books, you'll find 2 Peter. It's just near the end of the Bible. 2 Peter, verse 3. Here's the power that He gives you as the believer. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Verse 3. For His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. You want to know where you get the power to live a godly life? 
He says, His divine power has given us everything we need to walk a godly life. Verse 4, Through these things He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He gives divine nature. That means we become like Him. Through what? His precious promises. You take hold of His promises. The Bible says every promise in the Bible is yea and amen for the believer. The believer has everything he or she needs to walk godly. Verse 5, For for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know why some believers are totally ineffective in their life? They believe that Jesus is Lord. They believe in the physical resurrection, but totally ineffective in having a witness and power in their life. It's because of this. They haven't taken hold by faith of His precious promises. And then remember, when Peter's writing this, he's an old man. He's an old man. He's seen a lot. He's lived through a lot. And he says in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith Goodness. So now that you have faith, now start piling on with goodness. And to your goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. Self-control, you know, this is this thing that I can't do whatever I want anymore. I'm different now. Other people do it. Good, that's good for them. They can go to hell. That's not for me. Other people do things that I can't do as a believer. I can't go certain places because I know what that's going to do to my spirit and to my heart. I can't look at certain things because I'm a believer. There is self-control that He calls us to. To self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, meaning if you're always growing in these qualities... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first call is, come to Jesus. If you don't know Him, say, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And the second call is, Lord, let me walk godly in you. Let me walk according to the pattern that you have for me. Let my life not become ineffective. I look at people's lives and the destruction is like, Just one after another, the decisions they make and the destruction that comes in their homes and their families and their lives and their marriages because of decisions that are selfish, because of decisions that are self-centered, that are ungodly, and the pain and the destruction. And there's only a few that make a decision to walk in godliness to walk in self-control, to walk in the patterns according to what He has called us, to walk in goodness, to walk in love. There's only a few that make those decisions and make the sacrifices that those decisions demand. And then you look at their lives and they grow older and older happy. And their children love them. And their spouses love them. This, this doesn't come by magic. 
He says, if you do this, you're going to have a productive life. But in verse 9, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So in other words, he's even saying, you can be a believer cleansed of your past sins and not walk in these things I just said. And he says, you're nearsighted and blind and you pay the price. We all want a good life. Here is what the old man, Peter the Apostle, spells out for us as the way to have that life. Let's pray. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Abba, I pray that these young people would see the glory of God. For those that do not know you, Father, may they come to believe so that they could see the glory of God. That Jesus has opened the door for them. That there is cleansing of their sin. And you have opened the door for them through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, call them forth this day from the grave. Call them forth, I pray. And Father, for those who know you, let them be increasing in these qualities which bring forth godliness to walk according to His nature. Father, I pray that you would so work in their lives that they would take hold of your precious promises and believe so that they could see the glory of God. Let them take hold of your promises to walk in a divine nature, the nature of God, the nature of goodness. Father, call them out of troubling sin which so easily can entangle them and let these young people walk in you so that they might not bring destruction upon their lives, being blind and nearsighted. Have mercy on them, I pray. Your mercy rest upon them. And Lord, we lift this up to you, and I lift them into your good care, for your glory. Amen.